0: Hello, and welcome to In Session, the Daily Texans weekly rundown of the 2019 Texas Legislature. I'm Sarah Schleid, and I'm here with the Daily Texans' ledge reporters, Chad Lyle, Chase Karakostas, and Katie Balovic. Hello, everybody. Hello. Hi. Hi. So, yesterday, something kind of significant went down. The state of the state. Uh, First, do you mind kind of explaining in a sentence or so what that is?
1: Yeah, so it's kind of like the State of the Union, which is the address that the president gives each year about how the country's going and uh, sort of what big issues he thinks we're facing right now. But for ours, it's a little bit more important because it's where... Uh, Governor Greg Abbott specifically announces which um, things he's considering to be emergency items. So any of those are issues that lawmakers can vote on in the like 60-day kind of like pre-period of the session, which is typically reserved for committee meetings and bill filing, and you're not allowed to vote on anything. But anything that he lists as an emergency item, you
2: can take up and talk about them. And what you'll hear him say a lot when he announces an emergency item is like, so the legislature has enough time to like give this issue the attention that it deserves, I'm declaring it an emergency item. So that's something that he thinks is important enough to devote the entire session to.
0: Ideally, shouldn't everything be important enough to devote the session to? What exactly is the need for emergency items? And why does it sound so serious?
2: That's a great question. So like it's not that serious. (laughs) (laughs) I think, so one thing that I said earlier was that that gives the, like some issues might need more time to either win people over or deliberate or understand all the details of. So I think that's part of it. And then,
3: well, I was just going to say like some bills, I mean, there's going to be like what, probably six or 7,000 that are going to be filed. So like, Um, Chad said, there are going to be be some that just need extra time. But also some of them, like, they've been filed every single session and never get discussed in committee just because they're not really, like, actionable. They're just, they're not, never going to happen.
2: And one last thing, this is sort of one of the major ways that the governor can assert his or her legislative influence by, like, naming the items that they think are important now and then really the only way that the governor can affect the legislative process on the back end, aside from just publicly speaking about things, is through vetoing legislation that they don't like later on.
1: Yeah, so he can't, like, file bills or anything like that. Like, he can meet with lawmakers and be like, I want something to look like this. Or he can be like, I'm going to veto it if um, you don't have this, this, and this in there. But, yeah, like, this is one of his only ways to really set priorities. But... I would say the term, like, emergency item sounds kind of, like, intense, but really it's just meaning that they can take it up earlier. And if anything, I would say one of the only issues that I would see being voted on and then turning into something, like, really legitimate pretty quickly is Harvey funding Um, and building and, like, rebuilding after the hurricane. Because that's the only stuff that can be – that's super bipartisan. They know where the money is going to come from. And it's easy to kind of take that out there. But changing something like school finance, property tax reform, some of the other things that they brought up, that's going to be years of implementation.
0: Right. So let's talk a little bit more about each of the items that he declared and uh, what they mean. So, So Chad, you can go first.
2: His first emergency item, or actually, his first two emergency items were public school related. Actually, sorry, the first three emergency items related to public schools. But the first two were very similar in the sense that it was teacher finance or school finance and teacher pay. And one of the more, uh, like, one of the surprises of the state of the state was that Abbott had a line that was we must create a pathway for the best teachers to earn a six figure salary. So they're already planning on pumping a lot of money into increasing teacher pay. But this idea, I wouldn't call it radical or anything, but that was of the things that you could consider surprising from this address, saying that the best teachers in Texas should earn a six-figure salary and they're going to do meaningful work towards achieving that is a big deal.
0: How achievable do you think that is?
2: I think the thing that you can sort of take away from any promises that state legislators make is that at the end of the day, the budget has to be balanced. So they're not going to pass anything or spend money on something that they don't have the resources to. So we can kind of follow this and see what happens. But if they're promising it now, I I think there's a good chance they think that it's likely to happen.
1: Yeah, it's one of the interesting things about this session is they kind of have like a dueling dilemma they don't they want to do property tax reform which mostly means that they want to cap property tax increases and the people that raise property taxes are cities counties and school districts for the most part there's a few other local taxing authorities like health ones and stuff but those are the main three that people are going to be affected by and the cap that he has proposed is two and a half percent each year so they can't raise their taxes by more than that but the things the but the thing right now that primarily pays for schools and teacher salaries and all that stuff is property taxes. So it's this big issue of unfunded mandates that makes Democrats really mad is the state will go and say, you have to go do this, this, and this. But they could very well say, okay, you have to start paying teachers that have been there for 20 years, six figures, but then not give them any more money to do that. So then those schools have to go then cut money from elsewhere. And so it's this issue between finding that balance between those that I think will be kind of at the heart of whether or not those two things are even likely.
0: So it sounds like the first few points kind of contradict each other.
1: Yeah.
2: They don't necessarily (sighs) contradict each other.
1: But they are things that...
2: They're going to have to look at both of those. They must
1: be solved together. Mm
2: -hmm. They can't
1: be... You can't just like... Change You can't, like, look at them separately and change them separately. You have to look at and be like, okay, this area needs this much money and we want to cut this.
2: But you have to figure out where that gap is going to be paid for.
0: Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. what about the rest?
2: Um, The third emergency item that Abbott declared was school safety. And I remember last week, this is something that we talked about that could become kind of controversial, But at least during the state of the state, he approached it in sort of a bipartisan way, Um, because he said the one thing that we can all agree on is mental health. So they're going to put some funding towards improving mental health programs in schools. Um, But what they're also going to do is put more money towards security in public schools. He this. I wouldn't say this was vague because you have to fit a lot of things into the state of the state. But as far as looking for more details on this, like that's something we're going to have to look for later. So I don't know right now if that's going to affect higher education institutions as well. Um, But I think it's likely that when he talks about that, he's just talking about um, like primary and secondary schools. Mm hmm. But as so rolling off of that, um, one thing that he next declared an emergency item was this mental health care initiative by Senator Jane Nelson. And so this is actually not exclusive to schools at all, this is a statewide thing. Um, and I know Katie's been covering it, so I'll let her talk a little more about
3: yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so I believe it's Senate Bill 10 at this point, and it's actually pretty unique because it has every single senator either authoring or co authoring it. Um, Is which that rare? I talked to one senator about it, um, Kel Seliger, and he said that. You know, every session there's normally one or two bills that just everybody gets on board with. And he said that this is that one um, where mental health is just a really important issue on on both sides of the aisle, Republican and Democrat. And so what this, um, what this bill would be doing is creating the Texas Mental Health Care um, Consortium. And it would basically be utilizing a network of... Um, I don't know if it would really be mental health care providers, but it's more like they're not creating a physical building or a center. It's more like they're utilizing knowledge, um, research, telehealth, virtual health networks from different universities and institutions across Texas. So like, for instance, Med is one of the institutions that's listed as it would be contributing to this network. And so the whole goal is to be utilizing all these different networks across Texas to provide better mental health care for Texans.
0: And then uh, what about the other items?
2: So the, the last two things that he declared official emergency items were property tax reform, which we talked about a little bit, and then disaster relief. Senator Charles Perry introduced like a package of bills recently to create Texas's first statewide flood plan. And the aftermath of Hurricane Harvey. And this is also something that's gonna take a little bit of time for everyone to deliberate and work out. But I know they wanna make it really multifaceted so that sort of the rules that apply to one area don't necessarily apply to another one that they wouldn't work in. So they wanna give a lot of the power to kind of regulate this to cities and counties um, so that they can use the resources they need.
1: Yeah, and I know um, one of the things about the disaster funding specifically, too, is there's not really much of a concern that that kind of stuff isn't going to be paid for, because they have specifically said they're going to tap into the rainy day fund uh, to pay for that. I was actually looking at his 2017 State of the Union speech, and Abbott was specifically, yeah, or yeah, State of the State. <laughs> And Abbott specifically pointed out, he was like, we're not going to go looting around the rainy day fund to pay for any of the things that I'm talking about today. It's a He took a very different tone the other day. And the speech itself was interesting too because it very much avoided like controversial items like Sanctuary Cities, which he brought up last time. That was an emergency item. Uh, he didn't mention the bathroom bill last time, but it also didn't survive the last session. It was one of the biggest issues and he didn't bring it up today. Um, So it was a very different tone. And all of the things that he mentioned are pretty bipartisan. But what's not bipartisan is the approaches that each party wants to take. Um, I would say probably disaster funding is and like mental health care is probably the only two things on that list where they see eye to eye. Everything else the democrats and the republicans are like yeah we need to fix this but how we want to fix it and how want you want it and how you want to fix it are two very different things
0: so would you say everybody's hoping for similar results but wants to use different methods
1: i would say similar results only in the terms of like the overall umbrella property tax reform everyone wants property <laughs> tax reform but what that will look like Are two very different things. What the Republicans call property tax reform, the Democrats might not necessarily end up calling that. Mm -hmm. Um, And teacher pay raises might not be anywhere near what where Democrats want them to be. Um, I know five thousand dollars they've already said is not enough. Um, And I know a lot of them are like, we can't like, we're making, we're allowing like education in Texas to decline because we're requiring these people to go and like get college degrees
2: to become teachers. And then we're not paying them enough to make them want to stay. Really fast, there are also some interesting non-emergency item things that he brought up. Mm -hmm. He had a section about rape and sexual assault. And he said that right now in Texas, we have thousands of untested rape kits. And he said that before the end of this session, he wants state lawmakers to figure out a solution to that. Um, and he, he, like he used some pretty strong language for it. He said, um, one of the most important tools we have is forensic testing of rape kits. Yet thousands of these kids have languished untested for years. Um, and so he wants to provide more funding, not just to like chip away at that, but to completely eliminate the backlog for good. Um, and I think that'll be something else that's interesting to follow just because like, I don't see how an approach to that. I mean, I could always be surprised, but I don't see how an approach to that could fall along partisan lines. Like, you're either going to provide the funding to take care of that or not. So it'll be interesting to see if that happens and if it happens as quickly as they hope to make it happen.
0: Are there any specific ideas about where that funding would come from?
2: Um, That's a great question, because the state of the state is sort of light on those, like...
0: Technicalities?
2: Technicalities, right.
1: But I do know it's... I very much see something that is something where the state puts some sort of deadline on how quickly a kid is supposed to be tested but doesn't necessarily provide the funding to do that. Each te- each kid costs around $400 to test and there's tens of thousands of them. So it's going to take millions of dollars, which we do have a large budget of 220 or so billion. But it depends on whether or not, amid all of the other things that they want to pay for, if that's really going to make it
2: in there. Mm-hmm. And one of those other non-emergency items was that Abbott threw his support behind reinstating the Texas and Texas A&M rivalry football game. Mm-hmm. That was, I think, that was the last thing. Yeah, that right? was the last yeah. thing he said. <laughs> he closed out the speech by saying that he supported. Um, it was Representative Lyle Larson's bill to reinstate that game. Um, He started out, like, very somber, and then he – not somber. He was very sincere, and he was like, we all need to put aside our differences and come together, and then said, like, I'm willing to come together to reinstate the UT-Texas A&M rivalry football game. Yeah,
1: he said it in a way as if there's some sort of, like, shady history in between him and Lyle Larson, which was kind of weird, but – Yeah, no, that was – it was definitely, like, a kind of a random tidbit to add on there. But it really did contribute to the fact that, like, this speech is nothing compared to what it was two years ago. Two years ago was a lot, like, a lot of the – it honestly was kind of reminiscent of Trump's uh, primetime speech a few weeks ago. Not the State of the Union, but the one before that, where it was this very, like – people are afraid of immigrants we need to ban sanctuary cities uh they was talking about cps because they overhauled that um two years ago so it was a much like darker tone than
2: what we saw yesterday and um abbott throwing his support behind that football game means that it like that's something that's likely to happen now I just want
1: to. Like, I don't think it'll happen in the way that Larson's bill has filed, though. I'm pretty sure that's the bill that says like they'll defund schools or something, like you like uh, strip away some sort of funding in order to require the game to happen. Right. I think it'll so. Be, there might be a little. <laughs> I think I think it'll be a much more calm yeah. adjustment than that because that's a little bit intense. But <laughs> um, I I definitely think that something could find its way in.
0: So. Last words before uh, we finish off this chat, Uh, just tell me a little bit about uh, anything interesting that you covered or anything you're looking forward to covering in the next week.
3: Yeah, so I actually got to cover a um, bill that would exclude course materials and textbooks, um from a from the sales tax for a week at the beginning of each semester. So our in Austin the sales tax is eight point two five percent. And if the average student is spending, you know, between four or five hundred dollars on books, tack on, you know, eight point two five percent, that ends up being an additional forty to fifty dollars. Um so basically what this bill would do is just kind of exclude textbooks from that sales tax and basically put 40 to $50 back in students' pockets. And I got to talk to the CEO of the university co-op and she said that she thinks it's a great idea. Um, So that was one bill that was cool to cover.
0: We love that. What about you, Chad?
3: I am going to do a lot of follow-up reporting
2: this week, hopefully on the state of the state. I want to look into the rape kit issue and just sort of see what the background is there and what like some ways they can address that are. And I also wanted to shout out Hayden's story this week about um, Representative Richard Pena. Is that right? I'm not sure. Okay. Pena. Pena? All right. Repre- you, <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Representative Richard Pena filed a bill to keep <laughs> liquor stores open on Sundays. Um, so I will also be following that bill very closely for no reason in particular.
0: Important story. That was issues. written by
2: our close friend,
1: Hayden Baggett, who is not mm-hmm. here today.
0: Um, Yes, he is the Daily Texan crime reporter. And uh, Chase, anything that you're particularly interested in right now?
1: Um, So I did a profile on the higher education commissioner who is resigning. Uh, His name is Raymond Paredes, and he's been on the job for 15 years. Most only do it for about five. Um, But this is going to be his last session. He is resigning, not retiring. Uh, He made that very clear. And part of the reason is because he still wants to contribute to higher education in the state. His whole family is here, and he wants to continue working um, and doing stuff in that area. Um, And I'm trying to think. Yeah, that's about it. And then, yeah, that's it.
0: All right. Well, thanks so much for joining me, and thanks so much for listening. Tune in next week. And in the meantime, make sure to sign up for our In Session Facebook group, and for the newsletter to uh, get even deeper into everything going on with this legislative session.